Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Are you ready this morning? Okay, well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. If you've got your note, notebooks, notepads, digital notebooks, um, I encourage you to take them out and get ready. And get ready. All right, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The title of my message this morning is Imperishable, Undefiled, and Unfading. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that this morning we get to uh, hear from you, that we get to hear from you directly. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to see you. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So for those of you that don't know, um, at our previous church, I used to be part of the worship team. And um, my friend, Blah, uh, we, you know, he used to play the congas and I used to play the guitar. And we used to be at the back of the stage. And uh, where's Julian? Julian would lead worship and he'd be out of the front. But I don't, I don't know if Julian actually knew this, but because the stage was quite big, for those of us that were like in the rhythm section at the back, you know, you, we could have full-on conversations and like no one would actually know that we're actually, you know, having a, a fat chat, right? And one of the things about being in the worship team is that you have a unique vantage point. And I think Joe knows where I'm going with this. But basically, the way it works is that when you're on a stage, you can see who's coming in, right? And so my friend Bly and I, we used to have this thing where we used to, uh, we used to keep an eye out, survey the land, and kind of see which pretty girls were coming into the church, right? I was young and immature, okay. And um, on one particular morning, now, here's the context. Um, Nangi and Blind Eye, we all grew up in the same youth group uh, and so on back home and so on. And so Nangi walks through the doors, right? And I turn to Blind and I'm like, that's Nangi. And Blind looks at me and he kind of like has that look like, don't mess this up, you know? <laughs> so after the service, I'm like full on in strategy mode, right? But nothing works. So now I'm like, okay, I'm hoping she's going to come the next Sunday, and I'm going to have a plan, right? So I'm like waiting for her outside the, 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 the church to make sure that I can get that, 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 that time in, you know, between the building and her car, right? That didn't work either. But anyway, I had a number of strategies that I put in place, okay? And uh, long story short, if you, if you want some tips, uh, guys, I, I, can, I can give you some notes. But long story short, about a year later, 
Lobola plans were being made, right? Okay. Hey, I don't mess around. We don't play, guys. We don't play. So um, Lobola arrangements are being made, and, and we're going to have our traditional wedding and so on. And uh, I get summoned to meet uh, Nangi's dad, right? And this is a few days before the actual uh, wedding day, right? So uh, I get summoned to, 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 to their house, and I go with my uncle. And for those of you that have never met Nangi's dad, right, not only is he physically intimidating, because he's a, he's a large guy, he's a large man, right, but he's intellectually intimidating, right? And the thing with him is that he loves to teach, right? He loves to teach. He loves opportunities to teach and, 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 and to impart knowledge and so forth. But the way he does it, right, is he asks trapping questions, right? And for me, who is none the wiser, I'm just like walking into all of these traps. So anyway, he asks me, okay, so what do you do for a living? And so on. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm, just, I'm not going to give simple answers. No. Why would I do that? I'm going to give him like full answers so he can get to know the full me because we had never met before, right? So I, I'm, I'm going to give him the full answers and so on. And so I'm like, well, you see, so I studied banking. And uh, worked in asset management at one point, and then uh, now I am, you know, working for a church, and I'm in the pastoral team. I'm the operations manager there, and so, so I'm like trying to give this impression that I'm educated. I'm uh, I'm working at a church, right? I'm part of the pastoral team, so I've got some kind of, you know, maturity, and and you know, I'm a spiritual guy. I've got some good values going for me, and so on. I'm a great guy for your daughter, right? And then he kind of looks at me, and he's got this look. Now I know the look, right? And he's got this look, and then he asks me, so why do you think God created man? <laughs> so now, okay, now, now, I know the answer, right? I know the answer, but I'm like, why keep it simple? Why, why do that, you know? Let me give a full answer so he knows that, man, I've got spiritual maturity. So I'm like, well, you see, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and but here's the thing, when you're meeting your father-in-law for the very first time, not everything falls in line in your head, right? And how you intend things to go really ever goes like that. And so I am fumbling with this answer. I'm choking hardcore. And he kind of had to save me from myself. And he kind of interrupts and he goes, Will, Will, it's, it's love, right? <laughs> See, God wanted man to know him and to know the depths of his love. And he wanted man to enjoy the personhood of, of himself. And so he created man and he had a family. He created this family, this amazing uh, union, this amazing uh, oneness of spirit. And he said the most profound thing after that. After he said that it's, it's love, he said something that I will never, ever forget. And now this is the one thing that he'll always say, and it's the one thing that is so true. It is so simple, yet so powerful. So, so profound, so deep, and, and so meaningful, yet it's so simple. Ryan, do you want to know what he said? He said to me, if God created man because of love, God will never let you down. God will never let you down. God will never 
let you down. Church, I don't think we fully understand this. Maybe it's because it's just such a simple thing, but God will never let you down. He'll never do it. He'll never do it. He'll never let you down. I don't know what you're trusting God for this morning, but God will never let you down. God will never let you down. He won't do it. I don't know what it is that you're facing this morning. Maybe you've given up because you've messed up so many times and you think, you know what? I'm just going to give up. Well, I want you to know something. God hasn't given up on you. God will never let you down. God will never let you down. If there's one thing that you must remember this morning, something that you must take away this morning, remember that God will never let you down. I can see Rian at the back there. Rian, when the devil demanded of your life that day when you had that accident, God stood in the way and he said, I'm not allowing this today. God will never let you down. God will never do it. About 10 years ago, my friend uh, Blah was sitting in or lying in a hospital bed fighting for his life out in a public hospital in Sebo King. Some of you don't even know where that is. He's out in Sebo King fighting for his life. And when we went out to see him, he had his hands and his feet changed to the, to, to, to the bed because he was uh, fighting so hard uh, and they were trying to sedate him, but they couldn't do it. And I remember speaking to the nurses and they said, you know what, tonight, tonight is the night of reckoning. Tonight is the night of reckoning. If he doesn't make it through tonight, that's it. He's gone. It's happening tonight. It's either he lives or he dies. And I remember we were praying and, 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 and we couldn't believe that this was pretty much possibly the end of the road. My friend Blah is here today. God said that he will never let you down. And the word, of, the word of God to you, Blah, is that no matter how hard things get, always remember that day that when the devil demanded of your life, he stood in the way and God will never let you down. The Bible says in Psalm 145 and verse 14 that the Lord upholds those that are falling and he raises up all who are bowed down. God will never let you down. You know, sometimes when God acts on our behalf, we don't actually understand what he's doing. We don't see his hand. And we feel sometimes like he's let us down. You might be here this morning and you feel like God has let you down. Maybe it's because you actually don't see his hand. Sometimes we don't get the outcome that we're looking for, the outcome we're, we're hoping for. I remember in November 2019, Colin Wright went to be with the Lord. Colin is like a father to me and Nangi, brother to many and a good friend. I know Eddie and Kantha, like best friends. And we trusted and we prayed. We believed. We had communion and we did everything. We trusted, we believed, and he didn't make it. He didn't make it. We didn't understand it. All we know is that God is always good and he's sovereign and all we could do is just leave it in his hands. But here's what I do know, is that for Francis, she wasn't supposed to make it. The way I saw her be in pain, brokenhearted, smashed to bits, and everything hurt like hell, she wasn't supposed to make it. But I know that Psalm 145 and verse 14 says that the Lord upholds those that are falling. And he raises up 
those that are bowed down, God will never let you down. He won't do it. Becky, do you remember when the enemy rushed in like a flood? He rushed in like a flood and he stole what was so dear to your heart. You remember that? And then he raised up a standard. God said no, and he restored. Look at your life today. Look at your life today and see what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. God will never let you down. God will never let you down. But here's the thing, church. We all know at some level or another that God is good. I think we can all kind of accept that God can at least do miracles and do wonders and that God is good. It's like in our minds we can accept it. But is it truly something that we trust in our hearts? Do we truly trust it that God will never let us down? Do we truly trust it that God is good? You see, because if we lived our lives from a place of conviction, surely we would see it in our church attendance. Surely we would see it in our giving. Surely we would see it in us studying the Bible and being hungry to learn more. Surely we would see it in our prayer life. But it almost feels like we just go through the motions, right? Like we just know it up here, but we don't live from it here, where we know it in our gut, the depths of our souls, that God is good. How have we become so lazy? How have we become so lazy that God would do all this? Snatch us out of, um, you know, the, the, the depths of the miry clay. In Psalm 40 it says, You have lifted me up out of an horrible pit, the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. How is it that God can do all of that and yet we've become so casual? You know, we've been entrusted with the message of, of, of reconciliation, leading people to that inheritance, that, that, that promised land, that, that place of peace with God. We've been entrusted with the message of, 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 um, of sharing the hope that we have in Jesus, the living hope. And yet, we're so casual. How has how's that happened? Church, we need to shake off the slumber. We need to shake off the worldly cultures that, the cultures that have kind of crept in to our lives, the, the, the little things that we have excused that are not holy, that are not just, that are not acceptable. We need to shake it off. The message of reconciliation uh, where we need to lead people back to God, that message is too important for us to be too casual about it. It's too, it's, 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 it's too big. It's too important. I'm going to give you some tools this morning that are hopefully going to help you kind of uh, allow the Holy Spirit to reignite the flame, that you're able to, to, to fan uh, that, 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 that spark into, into a consuming fire, and that the Holy Spirit will be able to stir up some things in your heart this morning that you would have a passion again for sharing the hope of Jesus with the city. The city of Joburg needs to hear from us and they need to hear the gospel. Amen? All right. Number one, you know the story. You need to know the story. You need to know what really happened. You see, you can't just share the hope of Jesus without really knowing what that hope is. You can't just share the hope of Jesus without really knowing what Jesus has actually done for you. And you see, for most of us, we don't read our Bibles, so we don't know the story. We don't know what really happened. 
So I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary this morning. And remember, this is a very sort of big story, and uh, it happened over thousands of years. So I'm not going to give you perfect analogies, but I'm going to try and give you a concise sort of summary of, of the story. And hopefully that will be a platform from which we can then build on for some of these uh, other tools that I'm going to share with you this, this morning. So in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so in the beginning, there's the heavens and there's the earth and God created it right. Then Lucifer and his cohort of uh, rebellious angels are then expelled from heaven. When they rebelled against God, they're expelled from heaven and they're sent to earth, right? Which is a dark place, it's void, it's formless. Kind of like a prison where they are awaiting execution, right? We know from Revelation that there's going to be the final judgment where they're going to be chucked into the lake of uh, a fire and eternal to uh, torment and so forth, right? So... The devil goes out to earth with his, with his, with his uh, cohorts, and then uh, God, after that, then decides that he wants to uh, have a family, and he wants to create man. We've already spoken about why God created man. And so he creates man, but before he creates man, he creates a home for man. So God comes to earth, and what does he say? Let there be light. Okay, I was wondering, am I the only one that knows the scripture? So he comes and he says, let there be light. And there was light. And then he starts to create uh, the earth and there's mountains and there's valleys and there's sea and there's fish and there's animals and everything that creeps and so on and so forth. There's vegetation and all of that. And so God creates a home for man, right? And then on the sixth day, we're now in uh, verse 26, I believe, of Genesis 1, right? God then says, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God creates man and he gives man dominion authority, rulership over the earth, right? He gives us our inheritance, okay? So the earth is ours. And then we move on to uh, chapter 2 and verse 17. God says to man that you can eat of the fruit of every uh, tree, but of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat of that fruit. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then chapter 3 happens. And in chapter 3, the, the, the devil, we all know, tempts, uh, tempts man. When I say man, I'm talking about man, the, the man and the woman in that time. He tempts man, and, um, and then man disobeys God. Man disobeys God. Remember, man was perfect, righteous, one with God in that moment. Man was perfect, righteous, one with God. Man disobeys, right? And man sins. Four things happen in an instant when man sins. Number one, man turns his back to God, right? It's very important for what happens later on in the story. Man turns his back to God, right? Number two, man dies spiritually. Remember we said that, uh, um, we said that you know, God said, if you eat of the fruit, 
in that day you shall surely die. That death is a spiritual death. So man dies spiritually, alive in the soul, alive in the body, but dead spiritually, right? Then number three, man hands over his inheritance to the father of darkness. The ownership, the rulership, the authority that we had over earth is then handed over to the father of darkness, right? That's when sickness, disease, greed, war, corruption, envy, immorality, all of that stuff comes in there. Can we stop blaming God for everything that's going wrong in this world? It came in there with sin, right? Then number four, remember I said that man was perfect, but because of sin, man becomes imperfect, unholy. But because God is perfect and holy, it cannot mix with unholiness, right? If God is perfect and we are now imperfect because of sin, there has to be a separation. So there becomes the separation between man and God, right? There's a separation that happens. There's almost like a, a literal and spiritual curtain that divided God and man. And so as this parting happens, God has some final words for, for the devil. This is kind of like, you know, in those action movies where the good guy uh, experiences a temporary setback and he has some words for the bad guy. Kind of like in the movie, I don't know if you've watched the movie Taken. You know, when, uh, when Liam Neeson does that whole, I don't know who you are. <laughs> but I've acquired a special set of skills over a very long time that make me dangerous to people like you. You know that, that whole thing? So this happens now in uh, chapter 3 and verse 15 where God says to, 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 to the devil, he says, and I will put enmity, which is open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, your demons, and her seed, capital S, right? He shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. That's basically... Uh, that's basically God saying to, to, to the enemy, to the father of darkness, to the father of lies, saying to him, before this war is over, I'm going to kill you, right? And then the parting happens. So because of the sinfulness of man, the judgment that God had for the sinfulness of the devil, we got wrapped up in it. Sin is sin. God is just and sin must be punished. The Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death, right? We were sinful, we must now be punished. And death here is not just like, oh, I'm just going to go and die and I'm going to be buried and then that's it. No, death is that eternal judgment, that place of eternal torment, eternal separation from God. That's what death is. So here's the thing, God is just, meaning that the penalty of sin must be paid, right? That debt must be paid. But on the other hand, God is love. And if God created us because he loves us, he's not going to want us to go through that kind of punishment, right? So God makes a way. Now, remember we said that man was perfect before he sinned, right? So a perfect man disobeyed God at a tree and all of mankind then became sinful, unrighteous. All of mankind, because of the sin of one man, became unrighteous. And that means that only a perfect man, 
who owed God no debt could make man righteous at a tree. Can you see where I'm going with this, church? Only a perfect man who owed God no debt could then make all of man, by taking on that penalty that was supposed to be paid by all of man, by taking on that penalty, that punishment, could make all of man righteous. But here's the thing. There was nobody that was righteous. There was no man that was righteous. And it had to be a man that paid that price because man messed up, man must pay the price. It's like if I loan you a thousand rand or if I, if I loan you some money in a currency, let's say it's rands, you have to pay back in rands. You can't come with monopoly money, right? So a man sinned, a man must pay. But it had to be a perfect man because remember, a perfect man sinned. So a perfect man has to pay the price if all of mankind is going to be made righteous. But there was no one that was perfect. Only God is perfect. So here's what God did. He put skin and bone on. He put skin and bone on and came down to earth, the Son of God. Son of God meaning the one in the likeness of God. Like fathers, you know when you say like father, like son? So he comes, the Son of God, the one who is like God, comes to earth and becomes the Son of Man in the likeness of man. Perfect man. He had to be fully God, and fully man. Fully God because he had to be perfect, right? But he had to be fully man because only a man could pay that price. If he was God, he couldn't die because God can't die. So he has to come as a man. Fully God, fully man. But how do you, how do you reconcile those two? How do you reconcile being fully God and fully man? He had to lay aside his rights and privileges as God. So God comes to earth, the Son of God, who is now the Son of Man, comes to earth and his name was called Jesus the Christ. So the, the story goes on that Jesus is now crucified, right? He's killed on the cross. And he takes the punishment for mankind. The wrath of God poured out on Jesus, emptied out completely on the cross. You know, uh, the disciples James and John, they were brothers, they, 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 they say to Jesus before he dies, you know, Lord, when we enter your kingdom, please can you uh, put one of us on your left and, and the other one on your right? And Jesus says, can you drink of the cup that I must drink? The wrath of God, talking of the punishment of God that must be emptied out on him so that mankind can be saved. Now, when you read John 3.16, it's, it's a different story altogether, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the only one that is like God. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When you know the story, these scriptures start to make sense. They start to mean a whole bunch more, don't they? So, when Jesus died and rose back to life three days later, what happened? What happened? Number one, he paid the debt in full. The penalty that we owed, he paid it in full. Number two, he defeated the devil. 
Do you remember the keys to the inheritance that we handed over? The original man that we handed over? He went and he grabbed our inheritance back from the devil. He defeated the devil. He busts his jaw. He defeats the devil. You know that scripture that we read in Genesis 3.15 where it says that the seed shall crush the head of Satan. That's what happens then. Then number three, he made it so that if we would turn back to God, remember we turned our backs to God when we with the original sin? He made it so that if we would turn back to God, and this is what we call repentance, turning back to God, right? He made it if we would turn back to God, we would receive forgiveness for all our sins, past, present, and future. And he made us alive spiritually. If you would turn back to God and believe that Jesus did all of this work for you, he would forgive your sins and he would make you alive spiritually. To be alive spiritually means that the perfection that we once had at that tree before man sinned is the perfection that you can have once again on this side. Does that make sense? So Jesus reconciled man in himself back to God. That separation that once existed because of our sinfulness, because the debt was paid, that separation no longer exists, right? When that separation was closed, when that gap was closed, the Bible says that we were made alive with him. In Ephesians 2, we were made alive with him. We were raised with him. And now we are seated with him. Now I want you to catch the depths of this, right? When it says that we are seated with him, Jesus says, uh, when he's praying in, in, in John 17, he says, Father, he's praying to the Father, he says, Father, the glory that has been given to me, because remember it says that Jesus has now been raised up and he's now seated on the right hand of the Father. And he says that he's been given the name that's above every other name and every knee will, uh, will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That glory, it's, he says, the glory that has been given to me, I give to them. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. That's the good news. That's what it means when we say that God will never let you down. That's the truth of what happened. Now let's read that scripture in 1 Peter again and see how deep the scripture is. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Remember, we were dead spiritually. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Remember, our inheritance before that we had in earth became perishable, defiled, and fading when we sinned. But now through his death and resurrection, we now have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that's the grace of God. This is the story that we need to share with the city of Joburg. You've got to know the story. All right, number two, own your story. Own your story. What has God done in your life? 
What is your testimony? You see, the little miracles that God has done and is continuing to do in your life, these are the things that will encourage the lost souls of the city that don't know about Jesus. You see, we have the broader story, the broader context of what Jesus has done, but within your life, your story fits into that broader story. What is your story? What is your story? Own that story. I don't know what you've done. You may have messed up somehow or somewhere, and maybe you're experiencing some kind of guilt or shame, and you're like, you know what? I really don't want that to be my story because I'm ashamed. You need to own your story because God paid the penalty for your sin. And your story is powerful. Your story is powerful. Let the goodness of God permeate your heart. And how do you do that? Through personal devotion. And what's personal devotion? Spending time with Jesus. Spend time with Him. What does that look like? Close the door to your room. Put on some worship music. If you can buy all sorts of rubbish from iTunes and so on, I'm telling you now, you can get some worship music, okay? Put on some worship music, read your Bible, talk to God. Do it for 15 minutes. Just start with 15 minutes. Spend time with God. I guarantee you, you'll be more and more aware of the presence of God with every day. With every day that comes and goes, you will be more and more aware of the presence of God in your life. Matthew 6 and verse 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Number three, share your story. Share your story. The things that God has brought you through and the things that you are going through are both valid and meaningful to those that need to hear it. But how will they know your testimony if you don't share it? The things that you're going through are powerful. They're powerful and they are valid. The things that you've been through are powerful and they are valid. Never underestimate the value of your testimony. Even if your story is not like Blas where he was fighting for his life and maybe you've just got like a boring life like me and like there's nothing that's truly like all that interesting, whatever. I promise you, somebody needs to hear your story. Never underestimate it. Never underestimate what God can do through your story. Now it's noble to want to go and stand in the middle of Four Ways Mall with a loudspeaker and try and share your story that way, but it's weird, okay? <laughs> and it's ineffective. Don't do it, okay? Unless God specifically speaks to you in an audible voice, okay? Don't, don't, just, don't, just don't do it, all right? Um, but we see from Scripture how God did it. How did Jesus do it, right? And it's so simple. It's so simple and so effective. Jesus basically had a come-dine-with-me season like, like no other, right? Jesus would go and eat with people. That's what he would do. I'm going to share a few examples with you. I want you to see how deeply spiritual things would happen at a meal. Luke 19, verse 1 to 9. It's a bit of a long one, but bear with me. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him before he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And, Jesus, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Mark 14, verse 3 to 9. And while he was at Bethany uh, in the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining at a table. That's in today's words in South Africa, that would be he was chilling by the braai, okay? <laughs> As he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold uh, for more than 300 denarii and, got, and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before, beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, even 2,000 years later, what she has done will be told in the memory of her. Deeply spiritual things happened at a bri. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Matthew 9, verse 10 to 13. As Jesus reclined at table, hanging out at a bri, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I'm going to repeat that. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. See, the concept of a meal is powerful, church. It's powerful. Why? Because it sets the stage for laughter and fun. Laughter and fun can happen at a meal. And when people are having fun and they're laughing, people feel like they can be vulnerable. People feel like they can share what's on their heart and what they're going through. And people feel like they can receive your story. So you can be creative with this doesn't have to be a meal. It can be tea or coffee. It can be a mom's group. It can be a round of golf. It can be anything. It can be a business breakfast. It can be anything. Create a platform where people can just be themselves. Don't be weird. Just, you know, just be yourself. Be normal. Like, do the things that you enjoy to do, right? God will open the opportunities for you to share your story. You could even hang out watching a game of soccer 
It's Man United Liverpool this afternoon, by the way. It's a great opportunity. No, really, it actually is. Number four, invite others to join the story. Invite people to join the story. And what that means is invite people to church. Invite people to a community group. Invite people to be a part of the story. Whether that's, you know, here on a, on, on a Sunday, whether it's at a community group, whether it's at any place where people can be with other believers, invite them. Invite them. You know, people are actually looking for an invitation. Many people would want to come to church if they could only be invited. So our mission as the church is too important for us not to take this seriously. Jesus completed every bit of work necessary for us to be reconciled with God, and now he's given us a job to do. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Our mission, church, is the reconciliation of the world back to God. That's our mission. That's our mission. It's up to us as the church to lead the lost to the inheritance in heaven that was been secured for us through Christ. That inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's our responsibility now. There's no other person that's coming. It's us now. It's us, church. It's us that have to reconcile the world back to God to say to them, hey, look, there's an inheritance for you that's been secured. Come, come, come and see the goodness of God that's chasing you down. Let's stand.